Hey there, we're the West Slap Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Eric Skoskowspo. And I am John Lacombe. Sammy is out for this evening's podcast, but John and I are going to hold it down, talk some recruiting, talk some lax, talk some softball, and kind of wrap up the the spring season here. We did want to mention before we jump into all that, that our team previews are right around the corner. We are less than 100 days away to football. Yeah, it's funny, you know, we when we look at some of our highest graded, highest viewed episodes from the past couple of years, I mean, any of you know that down the stretch, obviously, um, you know, that Iowa game, that Wisconsin game, and everything that came after that, I mean, you guys were just hammering those, and we appreciate it. But right behind those, and this goes back a couple years, is the team previews. You guys know um, we deliver as good Big Ten previews of Big Ten teams as anyone you're going to read or listen to, and it's all focused around Northwestern and and what a team's strengths and weaknesses mean for the Cats. So yeah, um, we're still a couple weeks out, but uh, start telling your friends, start licking your chops because they'll be they'll be coming soon. We also like to have some fun at our uh, our opposing team's expense. Um, <laughs> just you that's, know, that's right. Uh, right. Unlike other people. Um, I don't think you'll be getting a top 25 Nebraska preview from the Westlot Pirates. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I think we we may be running just a little against the grain on that one, but uh, not to put the cart in front of the horse. We'll get there when we get there. But first of all, um, we, we, we would be remiss if we didn't begin by talking about uh, the, the lofty and difficult heights that the women's teams had to deal with over the past weekend. Yeah, two uh, two incredible seasons come to an end uh, in the postseason. Women's lacrosse going down to Maryland in the semifinal game of the NCAA lacrosse tournament, and Northwestern softball losing two games to Oklahoma, essentially at Oklahoma in the Super Regional. Um, but th- like, I think we've talked about it on past past podcasts. This is like one of the most fun springs that we can remember um from a women's sports perspective especially when you tack on the basketball teams run through the nit uh, women's golf and the things that they did it's it's been an incredible last what three months for women's sports at northwestern and uh and these two these two teams were were very very special in their own right the fact that they were doing it simultaneously i, I think kind of added to some of the fun and the drama but um Sadly, their seasons are over, but but not without them putting up a hell of a fight. Yeah, and you know, I guess we can go lacrosse first, softball second. But sure. As as things currently stand, it is very possible that the team that knocked Northwestern out of both lacrosse and softball is the national champion, uh, because Maryland. I'd, Maryland I'd say the won. odds-on favorite in both yeah. cases. Yeah, Maryland won. Uh, I think the the lacrosse championship and. Uh, Oklahoma, Lord have mercy. Um, we'll, we'll get there, but I think, you know, the, I came away from the women's lacrosse game feeling that what we really saw was the team that was the best team in the country all season, Maryland, playing their best game of the season. I mean, they went bananas. I think they set a goals, a, a, 
goals in a game record, right? Um, or was it an NCAA tournament record for goals in a game? And this was a game that was close. Um, you know, we were down four at the half, cut it, I think, to two very quickly at the start of the second half, and then eventually Maryland just went on this crazy tear that we just could not stop. And I think my takeaway was Maryland was unbelievably good, um, but there are a group of, what, four or five teams at the top, and Northwestern maybe had fallen out of that group briefly, but Northwestern is right there. Um, I think Northwestern easily could have beaten any team in the country on any given night. Um, Maryland would have been the hardest get, but then again, over three games against the Terps, we were right with them in that first goofy indoor-outdoor game. Then we beat them in the tournament um, to win the Big Ten title, and then we lost to them in a big way on the exact same field in the NCAA. So give the edge to Maryland. They, you know, we play them as well as anybody did. We are the only blemish on their resume. And the, you know, it was a tough loss down the stretch, but overall, I mean, a tough end to what was otherwise a great season. Yeah, I, I, two things that I think are really worth doubling down on here. And one, one you mentioned it that, Northwestern is back in the conversation at the top of the sport. And that's been not the case for maybe the last six years. Um, we played Boston College, Syracuse, North Carolina, Maryland, all during the regular season. Those teams were all number one at some point or another. Um, we lost to all those teams except for, for Maryland during the regular season, but many of those games are very, very close. In the tournament, I mean, Northwestern was just hitting their stride at, at the end of the at the end of the season, into the the first few stages of the tournament. Uh, this Northwestern team had, has become an offensive juggernaut. I don't expect that to change in the future. I actually think that the rules of women's lacrosse um, make that really important <laughs> at this stage. Like you, you have to be a more offensive minded team. We've talked about how uh, this this program has morphed itself from some of the earlier years when they were. You know, they, they always had a dominant scorer, but Northwestern has always been more of a defense and possession team. And this year, uh, with, what, four dominant scorers really really took it to another level. I, the other thing that, that is important to note is that the, the final score of that game, and it was, what, a 13-point win for, for Maryland in the end? Right, or 12, 12, 12 points. yeah. The game was so much closer than that, and with... I think roughly six six or seven minutes left. There was a yellow card on Northwestern, and it became very apparent the Cats were not going to be able to come back, and Maryland just kind of barnstormed them. Um, I thought the Terps played a, a virtually perfect game. If you go back to the Big Ten tournament when Northwestern beat Maryland, that game started out with like the Cats played a perfect first half. Um, they were the more aggressive team. They had uh, much better shooting they were forcing maryland turnovers this was a total this was the complete flip-flop northwestern was a little bit sloppy early on um they had some bad uh passes that that got picked off by maryland and, and were converted for goals and maryland did not miss a beat so i it's like the margin between these two teams is much smaller than 12 goals uh the fact that northwestern beat them head-to-head in the tournament is is very telling of that and I don't, you know, even with the loss of Salino Soda, who is an all-time Northwestern lacrosse player uh, at, at this stage, bringing back Izzy Skane, 
Lindsey McCone, Lauren Gilbert. Um, this this team has a lot of firepower coming back next year. They've got some defensive firepower. It's they're they're going to be in the mix. Um, the facilities, everything else that that is working for the football team, for the basketball team, for the softball team, like is going to help the squad as well to continue recruiting at a very high level. And uh, and I'm I'm excited to see Northwestern be part of that conversation going forward. Absolutely, and I think that's the the big takeaway for sure is that this was a team that had, by Northwestern standards, fallen off a little bit somewhat recently. And finally, and, and Lasota, who was relatively quiet and, you know, kind of a frustrating end to, to her career in this game. But overall, I mean, she gets a ton of credit for being the lion who really pulled this squad up. And, and you know, I mean, it, every there are so many people who are involved, but she led the way. And... This is a team that was right there and was playing really meaningful, you know, nationally televised lacrosse in mid-May. And I think, right, and the big takeaway from everybody is, right, this team is is definitely in position to reload and is definitely looking to be back at the exact same place. And I think, if anything, that's it's a good pivot to softball because I, I'm already kind of fast-forwarding to next spring and thinking about how jacked we're all going to be um, next spring with these two juggernaut teams, um, you know, we're going to be coming out of basketball season waiting for these two teams to fire up the engines. Um, well, well and unlike unlike lacrosse, who loses an all-timer in Lasota. Oh, geez, Louise. I mean, the softball team, like, I, I know there's a couple seniors that are graduating, but the firepower on that on that squad, both at the plate and on the mound is young. And, and I mean, it's, this is the one that I think it's really fascinating to kind of talk about. And we've talked a little about this team, about where this team, what the trajectory of this team is for the next three years, right? Just based on that, that unbelievable freshman class, um, you know, was mentioned on ESPN a couple of times over the course of the Evanston Regional, which just sounds great to say, um, the, Evanston, <laughs> the Evanston Regional, hopefully there'll be an Evanston Regional next year that there are so many young players. I mean, they're going around the field and just picking out freshmen, freshmen, Williams on the mound, of course. And there are a couple freshmen who are part of that Ballyhood class who are going to get more playing time next year than they previously got. The I think because this team ran into the Gophs and then the Sooners down the stretch um, and, you know, had to play Oklahoma and had such trouble against Oklahoma... Um, it's it's easy to lose track of something. So I you know, I want to say this right off the top. This is a team. If you take all games against Minnesota and Oklahoma out, this is a team that was forty six and five, and three of those five losses were by one run. One of them was by two runs, um, and one of those was against Louisville, who we otherwise beat I think four times on the season, and. The if you look at the average score, I didn't crunch the math, but it's like five one average score, or thereabouts six two five one. We just obliterated everyone who was not Minnesota or Oklahoma on our schedule. Now we had you know we played Stanford once, we played Washington once, a couple of good teams, but everybody else we just steamrolled, including the whole Big Ten schedule, other than the Gophs. Now with all that said, this is where the interesting part comes in because. Um, 
Minnesota and Oklahoma basically handled us with the exception of one run, a one win uh, against the Gophers where I think we only scored one run. And the I, I think the issue is it's easy to look at that and say, well, Northwestern can pitch, but Northwestern can't hit. No, 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 no. This is a team that obliterated everybody else, um, including tearing up just about everybody in the Evanston Regional. Um, these girls can hit big time. It's just when you get to that elite upper echelon. Um, Oklahoma, I was looking. I mean, we played G. Suarez, who may be the best softball player in the country. Um, that was who we had to face in game one. Oklahoma's game two starter is 18 and one on the season. That's their second best pitcher is 18 and one. And against that level of pitching, we just haven't found the breakthrough. And that's, that's going to be the thing going forward. I think. Yeah. I, I, the one name I want to mention who is leaving uh, Morgan Nelson, who's been really strong for, for the cats. Uh, Lily Novak is another senior both are pretty high um, in terms of Northwestern's defense. Like they're both really strong contributors. There uh, have been have, have been big hitters in big spots. But the youth on this squad, we've talked about Danielle Williams all year. She was named College Freshman of the Year in in women's softball, and I like it's just so exciting to think about what this team could do. Like the stats that you mentioned around just the win loss record, and 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 really it was it was those big those big programs in Minnesota, Oklahoma. You could probably lump a Michigan in there if we played Michigan. We probably would have had some struggles there. But these are teams that, I mean, Danielle Williams was able to hold them to one, two, three runs in some of these big games. She couldn't do it day after day. But she's a freshman. Right. My God. Like, and I mean, it, and it's like you, it's important for everyone to know too because on one hand you could be like the three best teams in the conference were Minnesota, Northwestern, and Michigan. We beat Minnesota once and otherwise had trouble with them and we didn't play Michigan. It wasn't that we beat every other Big Ten team we played. We beat the crap out of every other Big Ten team we played. I'm looking... I I mean, I think the Wisconsin game uh, that ended in the walk-off was the only close Big Ten game that Northwestern played. Basically all season. Other than the Minnesota series. We beat the snot out of the entire Big Ten. I mean, you're talking, go down the, take a look. Six, nothing, eight, nothing, five, one. We shredded these teams. That's not going to go away. Um, if anything, it's just going to get more pronounced. It's just, can we find that big bat? Can we find one or two hitters? And it could be those freshmen just reaching the next level to push this team in, because this is a team that's going to be playing a lot of postseason softball. And it's just like, can we find that one thing? And, and you know, it's the other thing, too. A, a number two ace would be nice. And it's not to hate on Kenna Wilkie, who, you know, did a good job as our number two starter. And, you know, at one point in a major game, helped her own case with a grand slam. Um, she was out there. She was giving it her all against, you know, she pitched a lot of meaningful innings against the Oklahoma Sooners in the postseason on national television. But, you know... It's tough because you get that one special, unbelievable ace, and suddenly it changes the whole, just the whole calculus for everything. Because suddenly 
your thinking of Northwestern, not in terms of where we stand in the Big Ten, but where we stand in the nation. And there's that one place. I mean, look at Minnesota, right? I mean, Minnesota's still playing right now. They're playing UCLA, and they're having a rough go of it. And it's just because UCLA has just got the bats. They've got these insane hitters who you know are just capable of actually absolutely pounding the ball. And again, Northwestern has great hitters, but when you get up into the top 15 in the country, it just takes a little bit more, and we'll just have to see if they can find it. I mean, it's this is a very good team that is going to get better, and the question is just how much better. Yeah, well, and and that pitcher might be coming. Um, we've got a recruit coming in next year, Sid Sydney Supple. Uh, she's a pitcher slash first baseman, uh, a dominant player um, with the Beverly Bandits, uh, two time Max Preps All American, really strong on the mound, good hitter as well. So, I, I mean, like the youth and the solid recruiting coming into the squad, it doesn't end this year. Um, you know, something about Daniel Williams, we saw a couple times the Minnesota series, the Oklahoma series, dominant in the first game, untouchable in the first game, Come back, comes back in the second game, whether it's a little bit of fatigue here at the end of the year, whether it's you know not having enough differentiation in her pitches that the other team started to figure, out, figure, figure her out, started to get hit a bit harder. That's the sort of thing that as a freshman grows into a senior, uh, some of that changes. These girls play far fewer games um, – I assume in high school than they do their first year in college when they go this deep in the postseason as Northwestern did. I mean, 50 games, right. Or, or close to 60 games, right. 47 and 13. That was the, the total record. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot to ask. Uh, Williams herself pitched in 39 games. Damn, it's, it's crazy too. And you figure too, 230 innings. Um, and the other thing, too, is, and I know that, and, you know, I know, like, we're not fools. We know that high school softball teams, especially travel softball, travel a lot. But to yeah. arrive in college and then in in your first college season immediately head out on the road for as long as Northwestern women do and ha- as the number one starter, it's a heck of a lot. I mean, she handled it amazingly, but it's a heck of a lot of miles to put on a freshman. So, I like, you said it off the top, John, like, we like, we are going to be really excited about the softball season coming into next year, like well in advance, because the 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 team has got the firepower um, in 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 both spots. They've got some additional really talented youngsters coming in. It's going to be exciting to see what they can do. The Big Ten is there for the taking, right? Like we we were we were a a, a win away in Minnesota from splitting it with Michigan and. Um, yeah, We're, like expect this team to be in the mix the next three years. I, I, I don't want to be a, a negative Nancy, and I know we're going to talk about this down the road, just not on this pod. But let me say, like, when our collection of William and Mary and Corpus Christi transfers is slogging through the next basketball season, it'll be nice to have something <laughs> to look forward to. In the spring, as the weather gets a little bit warmer, uh, I'm not. And beyond that, I'm not even going to go there right now. But, um, but, oh boy, you, yeah. But you touched on recruiting, and uh, that probably is a, a good pivot for us to make here. Yeah, uh, we we highlighted this a few weeks back. Northwestern two weeks ago hosted what they referred to as their Sweet Sixteen. Um, Roughly 50% committed, 50% uncommitted, 
uh, football players on campus. They spent some time in Chicago. I believe they went to Wrigley. Um, there were just some mega names that, that Northwestern pulled in. And like we've long talked about how the recruiting is on the upswing at Northwestern. Y- you've made the point to me that we're seeing – like even just the official visits that we're in the mixed with on the, on these guys is a step up from what we've seen in years past. Um, and it's, it's going to be wild to see how this 2020 class finishes up for sure. Um, everyone from, I think everyone except Aiden Atkinson, our signed quarterback, everyone else signed for the 2020 class. were all there and, it sounded like just one big party, all the position groups. I mean, the, just the p- photos coming out of the offensive line signees was absolutely fantastic. Trench pretty, cats. Yeah, tre- the trench cats were loving life. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we, there were a couple major recruits. I mean, for me personally, it starts with Kalel Mullings. He is someone who we've been having our eye on for a while. He's someone who, you know, we touched on in the, you know, the four-star now I guess it's the annual four-star recruiting updates that we look at. And again, a guy who checks a lot of the boxes that are positive indicators for a four-star guy who's going to, to sign. Um, this is a guy who, I mean, it's, I don't, I couldn't even tell you how I know this, but, um, this is a guy whose mother, uh, graduated from and works at Cornell or worked at Cornell, I believe. Um, academics, obviously very important in that family. This is a kid who's visited Clemson, but he was also on this visit, had a great time, um, and we're definitely in the running. I mean, this is a monster recruit, you know, one of the top five or six linebackers in the country. Um, And um, another guy, Cameron Martinez, a guy with an athlete, a Kane Coulter-type athlete who projects as a slot receiver, ton of offers um, from Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, But to your point, Scuzz, this is a guy who – He's only taken, I think, two or three visits at this point, and it's like Ohio State and Northwestern. And I think the word is out that, oh, if Northwestern offers you a visit and you can go, go because it's an amazing place to visit and the facilities are incredible. And part of you might say, well, that's then they're just visiting to take a free visit. What is that worth? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean a guy is going to sign. But if you're jacking up the eyeballs and jacking up the guys who go visits and you think about it in a macro perspective, if you increase the pool, you in- increase the amount of guys that are more likely to sign out of that pool. Um, and if I could mention one more guy, it would be Isaiah Rakes. Yeah, who, this is the one I want to talk yeah, about. <laughs> this, is, this guy is 310 pounds of beef. And by his, all... His, his Twitter profile says something to the effect of like, Dear God, thank you for making me into a monster. Yeah. I mean, amazing. And there's a video. I mean, like this dude's huge. There's a video of him doing footwork drills. My goodness. Yeah. My and, goodness. And he and Tara Edwards had quite the time on this visit. And that's that's 600 plus pounds of fun right there. Well, uh, and, well, well, and here's the big deal, right? So Edwards picked like committed Northwestern, turning down an offer from Penn State, right? The, the the likely biggest competitor for Northwestern for Isaiah Rakes is Penn State. And if and if Edwards and he hit it off and, and Edwards can, you know, help seal that deal, like Right. That's I mean, I mean that's an absurd defensive line pairing down the road. 
Exactly. I mean, it's like, and it's like, who, who boy? And there are other names we could mention too. Uh, Mark Bruner's son, a highly thought of linebacker from Washington was part of this group. He had a big time, a great time. Garnett Hollis, who is a, you know, a really well-sized cornerback from Tennessee, very highly thought of. Um, I think he told our friend Louis Vacare, he rated his visit a 12 out of 10. So the point is, this 2020 class is already sweet. I'd say our odds of signing one of these guys is pretty strong. I can't tell you which one it is, but these guys are all blue chippers. And the fact that they're all visiting, they're all having a great time. Um, you do see the facilities and, and everything else Northwestern brings definitely coming to a heel. So on one hand, we don't have any hard like news to pass on other than that this must have been an amazing time out at uh, Chateau Fitz. But, (laughs) but I mean that, but the point is, I mean, it it all bodes well and it all has us feeling pretty psyched going forward. A couple other interesting ones. We've just thrown our hat in the ring for Blake Smith, um, super back out of South Lake, Texas, Uh, a guy who's got offers from the likes of Alabama and Michigan and LSU and Miami, Nebraska, I guess everyone, Everyone, we've been in the conversation with him for a while, but I guess we were waiting on test scores um, before being able to make an offer. So who knows? We'll see what happens there. Uh, the other interesting thing to kind of shift forward a little bit, and that's um, looking at 2021. Uh, I don't know if we talked about it, but uh, JJ is it McCartney? JJ no. McCarthy, yeah. JJ McCarthy. Um, Boo. I know quarterback out of uh, what Nazareth, right? Na- yeah, Nazareth in Academy. Chicago. Um, Pretty much everyone thought it was coming down to Northwestern and Michigan, um, mostly because Notre Dame already got their 2021 QB. Like, so, like, I feel like the Cats were like a half an inch from the finish line on this kid. He picked Michigan, is a bit of a bummer. We've shifted our sights to uh, Jalen Milrow, who's a QB, seen as a pretty strong one, only three stars at this stage, but um, from Katy, Texas. Notable because that's where Patty Fisher. And Travis Willick came from. Right. I mean, it's which, again, on the one hand, the idea of taking a four star monster recruit quarterback dual threat out of a major Texas high school is basically unheard of. I mean, again, if you read our stuff, we have yet to sign a four star recruit from a warm weather state. I mean, it just doesn't, it's, it, again, it's unprecedented. And obviously, This guy's above the threshold where a guy like Patty Fisher, for whatever reason, just the monster programs in Texas didn't give him in Texas, didn't give him offers. This kid's going to have offers from all of those. Well, he's he's got he's got Alabama, Florida, Florida State already. Interestingly, he grew up on the south side, south side of Chicago. So there's there's he's got like legit ties to Northwestern and that he grew up paying attention to the cats, rooting for the cats. Um, I think there's some family ties there as well. So. You know, who knows? We'll we'll see. Um, this, I mean, th- this would be a huge to 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 not win the the JJ McCarthy sweeps, sweepstakes, but be able to land on a guy this highly thought of would be um, pretty spectacular. Usually, when you miss out on your on your top recruit at the QB position, like Northwestern, um, a lot of the other like next tier guys are already gone. So this would this would not be much of a of a drop off, in my opinion. Yeah, and in that vein, you know, Northwestern still has been in a long time on Jake Rubley, who it, it rivals does not have him rated yet. I have a hunch he and 
McCarthy are both going to be four-star guys um, and high four-star guys when they're rated. Um, Rubley's got Michigan, although, you know, you figure that's out now. Yeah. Um, L- LSU, though, Texas A&M, I mean, and a slew of other major offers. But Northwestern has been in on him for a long time now, and we are definitely in the run. He's visited twice, um, and so... You know, you figure Northwestern's definitely thrown its hat in the ring for a couple of big-time 2021 quarterbacks, and we missed out on McCarthy, but a couple other of these guys are definitely in play. And again, Northwestern is thought of as a quarterback-developing place, and with the facilities and everything else. Um, and our what I, not to put the cart before the horse, but our potential ability to protect the quarterback at a level <laughs> that maybe we haven't done in the past um, down the road, you know, maybe it'll it'll have an impact on a couple of these guys, but we shall see. Ooh, that would be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for tonight. Um, we we will plan to be back in a couple weeks with uh, a full complement. We are working on getting some additional guests on this uh, as we get into summer. Some some folks um, at Northwestern and and graduated from Northwestern. We'll see, uh, we'll see what we're able to pull in, but we, uh, we definitely will be talking about There's, uh, if you haven't, if, if you're not a subscriber to the athletic, uh, or if you are a subscriber to the athletic, try to check out the, um, recent state of the program post that they just put up around Northwestern. It's a really good detailed rundown of, uh, of the cats who's coming back, why there's a lot of reason to be excited about this next season. They also reference some really interesting recruiting, uh, re-recruiting rankings that they that they've done at the Ringer, um, akin to some of the work John you did earlier this year. But looking at like Northwestern's 2014 class and how that stacks up when you go back and look at the production that those guys actually put forth, we'll be hitting hitting these things um, over the upcoming weeks. And then, yeah, I guess towards the end of June, middle to late June, um, we get into our team capsules. Yeah, and we're already. I mean, we're we're going to start laying the groundwork on all of that very soon. Um, we know a lot of you are waiting for it. Uh, they take time to churn out, but they're always worth it. But absolutely, I mean, I you know, this is it. It's it's funny. I think mentally we might have even made a, a pivot even earlier this year. But women's sports. I mean, the spring was so meaningful this year. But I think now, you know, tip of the hat to the ladies and it was just fantastic. But. I think we're all firmly in that football headspace now, and we're going to be staying there for the next half year. So, um, yeah, we're starting to lay the groundwork now, and uh, we'll just keep building on it. So, for John Lacombe and myself, uh, thanks for tuning in to the podcast. And I don't think I'm going to be able to remember all the stuff that Sammy, Sammy <laughs> usually says here. So, I'm just going to say, uh, look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because. The West Lap Pirates give no quarter, especially the fourth. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all next time.